Homestyle Green, episode 112. Why is durability an important part of sustainability? Well, that's just one of the issues I discussed this week with Brett Little, the executive director of Green Home Institute. G'day, Matthew Cutler-Welsh here for another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast all about inspiring people to make a better place to live. And that is very closely aligned with my guest this week, Brett Little, who's the executive director at the Alliance, well, sorry, used to be the Alliance for Environmental Sustainability. Now they have rebranded and they are the Green Home Institute. Before we get into that interview, a couple of notices. Firstly, I'd love to say thank you very much to Proclimber for supporting this show. And um, what do Proclimber do? Well, they do a whole bunch of stuff to help you get a better performing home. Their real expertise and, and focus is on air tightness, and we've covered air tightness quite a lot on this show, and it's something to embrace, not something to be scared of. But you need to know how to do it right. And the team at Proclimber are definitely there to help you get air tightness right with uh, products, but also heaps and heaps of information. Check out uh, proclimber.co.nz. And there's loads of information on there that you can download and read through all about building science, which is something I am into. Now, I also have some services available on my site, which I'm starting to promote a little bit more because I'm really keen on helping you either as a client to figure out what you actually want from your house. And also, if you are a professional design professional, then I would like to help you get more of the right clients. And I want to join that gap between the initial thoughts about building a home and building a green home and then getting things down on paper. And what I see is a little bit of time being wasted and uh, design changes and extra cost going into that process of uh, figuring out what actually needs to go into the house to get the house that you want. So I'm keen to avoid extra cost and extra time up front by helping you out with what I'm calling scoping the scope. And basically this means helping you as a client to figure out exactly why you're wanting to build or renovate and what that's going to mean for you. What what do you actually want to have as the outcome? Because the more clearly you can define that, then the more likely you are to be able to communicate that in a confident manner to the designer and it's going to speed up that process. They're not going to get frustrated with having to deal with a bunch of design changes and um, kind of changing your mind really down through that process and you're going to avoid extra cost by having to um, pay for all that professional time during the design stage. Anyway, check out homestylegreen.com for more details and if you do want to get in touch find out any more about any of that then you can email me matthew at homestylegreen.com or you can find me over at Facebook uh, also Twitter, my Twitter handle is at mcutlerwelsh, all one word. Now let's get on to the conversation that I had with Brett Little. This organisation, the Green Home Institute, is just one more exciting development that I think 
Um, it's just fantastic that it's out there in this sort of ecosystem of sustainable housing uh, and sustainable building industry because it's a it's a company that's or, or an organisation that's emerged to solve a problem to help people um, navigate through all the information and potentially misinformation that's out there, unfortunately. But it's great to know that these businesses and these organisations have a place now and there's a demand. So the Green Home Institute, uh, just reading from their website here, their mission is to empower people to make healthier and more sustainable choices in the renovation and construction of the places that we live. I'm into that. We help, this is uh, Green Home Institute, help professionals and homeowners make the most sustainable choices in their home design and new construction, remodels, additions, rehabs, etc. So that's certainly in line with what we're trying to achieve here at Homestyle Green. So I hope you enjoy this interview with their executive director, Brett Little. So, Brett, first of all, I'm interested in, in sort of your journey. How did you come to be with the Green Home Institute? Uh, yeah, so I was um, – it's actually interesting. When I uh, um, started taking on my bachelor's degree at um, a local uh, private college here for the uh, a sustainable business program, um, somebody who had completed the program – um, mentioned to me that I, I should volunteer at the, uh, at the time this place was called the Alliance for Environmental Sustainability, um, and that I should come volunteer here and, and, and learn more. And, and so I, I just walked in one day and, and told them, Hey, um, let me know what you need me to do. And, um, one thing led to another. And, uh, um, a couple of years later, I was, uh, uh you know, made a, a director here. How long had the the alliance at that stage been running for? Um, so, so actually, we're celebrating our fifteenth uh, year this year. So, two thousand. Nice, nice. Yep. And what was the main impetus for starting the the alliance and what has now become the the institute? Yeah, um, so it, it was started by a couple community leaders, uh, sustainability design educator, um, a commercial green builder, and then a, a home energy inspector, uh, Michael Holcomb, uh, the president and founder. Um, you know, he's been he had been doing in the in the West Michigan area here, um, doing home energy inspections and, and the Energy Star program since the '80s when it first started, and um, you know he saw a real need in the market here locally to do um, education and training um, on, on how to build um, homes greener and healthier. And so the, they got together and started a, a nonprofit to, to go out and, and do that kind of uh, uh, training and awareness. So is that not the place of people like the Green Building Council? Yeah, that's a great question. The United States Green Building Council, which we are very closely aligned to and always have been. Um, in fact, um, our organization uh, predates them, at least the local chapter here. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did not exist at the time, uh, locally anyway. Of course, they did nationally. but uh, And also the USGBC is very um, – well, they do have a residential component. Um, they're very a commercial organization, and so there's a lot of need for – um, an advocate on the residential side, right? And you mentioned a few times your your local area. Um, you're um, focused on 
mostly the the Midwest. Is that the is the plan to stay in that area, or uh, have you have you got um, are there similar organisations doing what you do elsewhere? Yeah, so a lot of the some of the stuff that we do, we have partner organizations um, across the U.S. who do a lot of the same work, and we recommend them when we come across somebody. Um, though we, we do have an education series that is global. Um, you know, when you do webinars, anybody can access yeah. a webinar. So, um, you know, we get people dialing into that from outside of the Midwest, though a majority of the people are in the Midwest. And then we also have a, uh, a another certification program for existing homes called Green Star, which is actually getting a lot of interest. Um, in fact, I just talked to somebody in New Zealand the other day um, as a tool that could be used outside of the Midwest as well. Nice. That's a little way outside of the Midwest. <laughs> It's very far, yes, uh, but just uh, as an extreme case. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a couple of things there. So you've got tools for people doing new homes, but also existing homes. Yeah. So the uh, the Green Star program um, was started at the University of Minnesota um, in Minneapolis as a partnership between the Remodelers Association, Builders Association and uh, a consensus of building science. Uh, a lot of building scientists live in the Twin Cities or came from there. Um, and, and they started this program, I think, back in 2005. And, and since then, we've partnered with them to uh, expand it outside of, uh, outside of Minnesota. And, and the program is essentially a manual, resource manual, and a, a, a scoring-based checklist um, that can be used to generate scopes of works and specifications and bidding and be able to certify a, a green remodeler addition. Right. And is that appraised or accredited officially by a body or is it a self-assessment? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, the program itself is not accredited such as like the ANSI standard, um, but it is not a self-certification. Um, there is a third-party uh, quality assurance um, person who, who who reviews all the documentation, and there is a third party uh, inspector that comes in and, and audits the house. Right, right. Yep. Um. Now, why not for profit? Yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, um, you know, I think uh, given the growing demand for for green building, um, it's 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 certainly a small niche area, and it's an area that's really contingent upon education and awareness and training. And you know, nonprofits are just really geared um, to doing that. To to you know, any any you know, our focus is um, you know to just get the education and the awareness out. And and so all revenue is invested into into doing that, um, you know, rather than one individual's pocket. Is or, that or a, counter? A yeah, is the, is that counter to anything that you learnt when you were doing your degree in sustainable business? And I I tend to think of business as being for profit. Um, mm -hmm. Is that what you learnt at 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 uh, when you were studying? Um. I uh, I wouldn't say that I I learned that at all. I don't think that was the focus of my of my degree at all. Um, but uh, you know, business the word business can can cover both for profit, um, non profit, as well as emerging models such as the B Corp or the L three C, which are sort of a hybrid. Mm -hmm. 
And what about those businesses outside of yours, which is very focused on education and training? We get a lot of building professionals and designers who are equally passionate about running a sustainable business, like doing it, yep. offering a sustainable service. Can they make a, a good profit by by being sustainable or offering sustainable services? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what we're seeing is uh, a couple different models out there on the design and construction side. Um, you know, some organizations um, commit 100% of their projects to some sort of green building certification, and they have a lot of success with that and, you know, have been able to make it outside of the economic downturn that we had in the U.S. here mm. um, by making that commitment and, and setting themselves as a part as a niche. Um, you know, others find themselves in kind of a hybrid. Mm-hmm. They're sort of, uh, hey, you know, we'll do what the client needs. We'll educate ourselves on green building. We'll pretty much always do it when possible. Um, and then, you know, you find folks who are actually completely against it and, you know, turn away green building business. <laughs> right, right. Because they know what they yeah. they know what they do best, but but in yes in, yep. in a sense you see that there are there are people who can make money from offering sustainable services and and within the construction industry. Oh yeah, yeah, that's good to know because uh, a lot of people I think grapple with that. Um, they think that it's a, it's a trade off, and you can you can only do one or the other. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. I want to kind of zoom out and and talk about houses in general um what do you see as the the biggest problems that are i guess making houses unsustainable yeah uh that's a good question um and and that could be subjective uh depending on 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 where you're on where you're building um but the you know some of the first things uh are just your durability and your and your water management, right? Um, you know, if a house is, is rotting, um, that's certainly not uh, sustainable. If it's not going to last more than, you know, maybe thirty years, um, that's a huge issue. So, getting your 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 water management strategy correct, flashing on the roof, um, you know, ensuring that the gutter systems are working properly and water is flowing properly, ensuring that rain isn't getting uh, behind um, the shingles and rotting at the walls as well as ensuring that the foundation is sloped away from the house um, and pests and water aren't getting, aren't entering in because of any kind of plantings around the house. That's, you know, that's the first place to start. Everyone thinks about energy efficiency or even health, but uh, if the house is rotting uh, and it's a zero energy house that's rotting, you know, it's no good to anybody. So, (laughs) but doesn't, shouldn't the building code take care of that stuff? Yeah. I mean, the building code is pretty good at taking care of, of, that to some degree, though you know the the not all building codes are necessarily uh, built to um, handle every single issue. And you know if one issue fails, if one problem fails on that chain of water management, you've got a huge problem. Um, the other issue is that um, you know quite oftentimes um, building code officials uh, overlook things. And, you know we hear about it all the time. Um, and especially in areas uh, and jurisdictions outside of uh, areas that have a little more, uh, I guess, uh, you know, financial um, infrastructure to support the code officials. So the code, wherever you are, is only as good as the officials um, check it. Correct. Yep. Mm. 
Okay, so I mean that's a good one, and and that has, t- you're right. That's typically not raised as as one of the primary issues that durability. But I I agree. There's no point in having a a sustainable energy efficient home if it's only going to last for five years and you have to rebuild it. Right. Um. What, what else out out in the mainstream? What are what are some things? Are there things that you see that make you and your your team kind of cringe a little bit? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the the next thing on the chain is health. Um not even not even at energy efficiency yet. So, um proper ventilation system, proper ventilation strategies, uh quite honestly, those are not in in all codes. Um, you know, sometimes code officials go above and beyond and flag those things. Um but uh so for example, you know, um a hood range in a kitchen. Um you want to make sure that that's vented out the attic. Um and properly putting moisture and air outside. Um, but oftentimes we see them either recirculating back into the house or venting right into the attic and causing a durability issue. So yeah. um, a lot of codes don't, you know, don't have any, have anything to do with that. So, you know, there's, there's one thing right there. Same with bath fans being vented. Um, That's you know, crazy. Putting, it's, yeah. just, um, it, it's unbelievable that that happens, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. The first time I saw one of those recirculating fans in the kitchen, I was like, what is the point of that? Right. Yeah. It, you know, it makes you think something's going on. <laughs> yeah. You know, you feel you feel good turning that fan on. You hear it. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And sometimes they have nice lights on them as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They look nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, and is that what you 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 mentioned at the top there? Uh, proper ventilation. So that's extraction uh, as the, as the starting point there. You're getting the moisture out of the kitchen and out of the bathroom. Are they, is that the main contributing factors to providing a healthy internal environment? Um, you know, it's it, 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 it's it's anytime you can avoid um, um, producing um, VOCs is obviously a much better thing to do first before you know ventilating as far as your design strategy goes. So some programs, um, you know, like LEED, um, call for for ways to avoid getting uh, VOCs or, or particulates into the house in the first place. Um, so uh, you know, currently code doesn't prevent you from installing a naturally drafted uh, water heater in the house, which um, you know could lead to carbon monoxide or other issues. So um, ensuring those are sealed properly. Are you talking about a, a gas-fired, um, yeah. unvented heater? Correct. Yep, yep. Um, which we're seeing less and less of, but, you know, um, they're still getting installed by plumbers. Um, yeah. So that's one thing. Uh, all the way to uh, having uh, shoe removal and dirt tracks. Um, tons and tons of uh, um, um, particulates and, and toxins will come in off, off your feet, off the street. Um and then all the way to the the, the VOCs um, in your paint, and believe it or not, even no VOC paint has VOCs that people with certain hypersensitivities um, can't uh, you know can't stand. Mm, I think people I think um, people like the idea of being free of VOCs, but it's it's a pretty overwhelming area once you start looking into it, and it's full of technical jargon, and um, it's it's almost one of those too hard basket. Uh, if if you're trying to do it yourself. So I can imagine where getting someone like maybe one of your team involved, is that the sort of thing they do is help untangle all the, um, I guess, marketing and, and misinformation that's out there? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons you, you would work with a, a consultant or a third-party verifier. Um, 
is some you know there's a lot of greenwashing going on so mm. um having someone you know help you kind of cut through that some of the greenwashing is unintentional you know other yeah. other is intentional so and that's a great thing too is we like to work with you know manufacturers and, and try to help them craft their message um you know to make sure it's accurate yeah nice nice so you mentioned um durability there and health anything else beyond that so yeah the biggest one that gets overlooked um from a code standpoint is uh is energy efficiency um so energy efficiency currently in codes tends to be very prescriptive um and and may not be always common sense um typically if somebody wants to do something innovative such as you know doing insulation or outsulation on the outside um, of the of the house rather than the inside, you know that could go against the code even if it works. Um, you know, also the uh, inspectors not going into the house with blower door testing to make sure the house is sealed properly. You know, they're not always checking the compression of installation of insulation if if it's compressed when it's installed, it's going to mm-hmm. poorly perform. Um, so that's really where the third party home energy trained rater has a lot of value, um, making sure to check all that stuff at the pre-drywall stage, all the air sealing and the gaps and the insulation and, uh, you know, making sure it's all there before the home is, is sealed up. And, and that's definitely where, you know, we hear code inspectors, um, are struggling. You mentioned there a, a certifier, a green home certifier coming to, to check those things at the moment would, would you only get someone in to do that or would only would, would someone only come if, if you were going for some sort of certification or can you get someone to say, look, I'm not going to get this house rated, but I just want someone to double check my insulation. Can they, can they come and do that just as a separate service? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, setting ratings and labels aside, you know, there, there may be perhaps a really well-trained home inspector yeah. uh, who could, who could, you know, help with that or, or, uh, or a home energy, home energy rater that you just say, Hey, come in and, and take a look at this and, and just make sure it's done correctly. Right. Because you mentioned, um, pre-lining and, and pre-drywall there. That, I mean, that's such a critical stage of, of seeing things before they get covered up forever, basically. And I, and yep. I get a similarly, uh, when do you recommend people think about doing a, a blower door test if it's not going to be done as part of the code requirement? Uh, yeah, I mean, a blower door is always good to do uh, before and after. And if you're trying to do team training, perhaps you're blower door testing while you're, you know, while you're installing caulk and air sealing, mm. you know. You know, just some people just let that thing run and watch it reduce if they're doing their work. Yeah, um, that's that's probably the extreme case, but uh, at the very least, you want to do it, um, you know, before the drywall goes up and spot any kind of voids or issues um, before it's more expensive to get to. And what sort of investment would someone be looking at to get uh, an inspector out or or to do a pressure test like that? Yeah, I mean, you're, uh, you know, there's all sorts of markets and and different costs, uh, in every market. So I would say anywhere from, uh, I would say anywhere from you get money for doing that with some certain incentives programs as it's, you know, you get paid to do that all the way to, um, up to maybe a thousand dollars. Right. So best to check out what the situation is in, in your local area. Yeah. Who, who's doing that and what, uh, if there's any utility rebates or incentives available. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a, a place to go for people to 
you find contacts like that or, or recommended resources people can find uh, in their local area? Oh, yeah. Uh, if you go to the uh, ResNet site, um, the, the Residential uh, um, Energy uh, Service Network, uh, or the BPI website, uh, Building Performance Institute, they uh, list um, all of their uh, localized inspectors. Cool. Now, you, so we've talked about what you see that typically goes wrong with, with homes. If, so, if someone's at the other end of the spectrum, they, they're about to start a journey of either doing a remodel of an existing home or upgrading something or, or starting from scratch, so they've got that opportunity. Would making a good home, a sustainable home, simply be the reverse of those? Or, or what would sort of be the top three recommendations you'd have for someone to, to make a really good home? Yeah, I, the top three recommendations would be to um, find a design tool and, and guidance tool. Um, uh-huh. So, uh, you know, a checklist, of, if you will, of program guidance, uh, whether that be, you know, LEED or Green Star or Living Building or National Green Building Standard. Find something available and whether you certify, just use it as, use it as your guidance tool um, and use it to help. Um, you know, put together what it is you want to accomplish and, and, and find a way to, you know, hold people accountable to those things that you're working with. The, the next is to, you know, put together your team, your contractor, your design, your HVAC, your insulator, um, and have them have a preliminary discussion about how they can all work together to achieve this so that something isn't missed or, you know, fingers are getting pointed at the end. Um, and, and have them, you know, have them work together on the design phase of that, um, and and also consider experience. Um, what experience do those folks have? Do they have a credential um, or some kind of, uh, you know, or, or or you know, listing of other certified mm-hmm. homes that they've done? Yeah. Yep. So. So you getting a tool, not necessarily to get again the certification, but to use it as mm-hmm. some sort of framework for. How you want the and, and I guess some some metrics as well. Some of those tools have numbers or, or goals in in specific areas that you can aim to achieve, um, and they help communicate those ideals with your your team that you've put together. Yeah. Um, and and you mentioned you you don't want a team that's just pointing the finger and shifting the blame all the time, but you want a team that's integrated. Right. And and genuinely concerned about the project and and you know somebody who you can work with uh, sort of during the operation of the home. I mean, um, yeah. things are going to happen, things are going to come up and, um, you know, how to overcome those. Any particular physical attributes of, of the home that are uh, um, sort of a, a bottom line or a, a, a requirement for a good home? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, without, uh, I, again, it can be a little bit uh, uh, climate specific um but you know as as i mentioned um you know a durable uh roofing strategy well i guess let me back up here the very easy thing that anybody can do is proper solar orientation and shading in any climate you can always take advantage of the sun and it's for the most part depending on your lot yeah usually free um so if you design right uh in like uh up here in the north you know you can certainly take advantage of that solar passive solar coming in in the winter and heating the house up and reducing your energy bill. Uh, and then in the winter shading out the sun and reflecting it. And then also 
you know, orienting your roofs for future solar installation when solar financially makes sense and pre-wiring the house for solar. Um, you know, that's just something very simple that anybody can do. Um, the other thing is waste management plans, having goals of where everything will end up at the end um, and how to divert that waste and, and hopefully reduce cost and, and keep things out of the landfill. Um, you know, that can be a very simple thing, uh, you know, that can save people money. Um, and then probably uh, energy modeling, um, working with uh, uh, an energy modeling software um, to help figure out, again, what your goals are, what you're willing to spend and, and what um, kind of energy target you're anticipating, uh, how much money you want to spend on your energy bills. Do you have a, a favorite flavor of energy modeling or um, software? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, especially if you're building a new home, it's hard not to go with the with the HERS index in the U.S. at least, and Canada has a similar version. Yeah. Um, of course, if you're really, really a go-getter, you'll want to work with the uh, the Passive House software. Yep. Now, you mentioned very briefly earlier on um, living building, I think, and are you... Have you done training with Living Building? Yes, we have both um, hosted trainings, webinars, and in person. And I am Living Future accredited, so I'm I'm one of their accredited professionals. Yeah, which is um, not a small task to uh, to get to that level. It's it's quite a lot of um, work you have to do. How how applicable is that to residential space? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and just I would say, too, if anybody's a lead AP, it kind of gets them more than halfway to the LFA, the Living Future Accreditation. Yeah. Um, so that at least helps um, cut down some of that. But uh, anyway, you know. But for the, those for those that haven't come across it, what what is – how would you sum up um, the the Living Future Challenge versus, say, green green building? As far as the program goes? Yeah, just sort of the underlying philosophy. Uh-huh. What, where does it – where does it sit? So, so you know, LEED is a you know a point based checklist, while Living Future or Living um, uh, Living Building Challenge is a actual measurement of uh, achievements that, yeah. of of utilities and indoor air quality measurements. Um, so one is you know pre design and built, and the other one is post design. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So you know, on the residential side, you know what we see. Looking at the living uh, building challenges, uh, it looks like it's a lot of small commercial sort of educational institutional um, uh, uh, buildings that are taking this on, which I believe makes the most sense. And then, of course, um, you know, we're starting to see more, um, you know, six story or so uh, commercial buildings, offices coming online and um, just a couple homes here, there. but obviously, it's it's taking off more in the in the commercial industry, right? Early days, or is that a a trend that's likely to continue? What I personally think will happen is that uh, uh, new programs will emerge using the the living building challenges framework that will better serve the residential community. Right. Um, but otherwise, I do think the residential will take off. Um, in fact, just across the state here, we had one. A hundred and ten year old home rehab that went through the living building challenge and was wow. able to uh, to certify a part of it, not the whole thing, but just the the net positive piece of it right um, which is fantastic and we 're actually working on a on a gut rehab um, uh, sort of intentional community project here in 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 Michigan too for living awesome. building awesome 
that's a whole other topic, Living Building Challenge. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a yeah, big one. I, yeah. It is yeah. a big one. I personally, I really like it. I love the philosophy that uh, it's not it's not enough just to be sustainable, that you actually want to be producing something that is beneficial to people and also beneficial to the planet. Um, and I think that's kind of the underlying philosophy of, of Living Building. Um which it sort of goes beyond sustainable, which is is pretty daunting. And like you say, some people only achieve one or two petals of the of the framework. But um, it, it's a nice, it's a really nice philosophy. Um, but uh, in a practical sense, it's um, probably better for people to aim at some of those other tools that are out there and a bit more common in the marketplace which I guess is, is where you guys can help out. Where where can people get in touch with you and, and make use of your services? Yeah, people can learn more about us at uh, greenhomeinstitute.org. Um, we have uh, education on there, a lot of webinars. So um, if they're not here within the Midwest, they can access those webinars for continuing education. Um, in the Midwest, we have uh, um, hands-on all-day trainings, um, you know, as well as um, uh, partner raiders across the region um, who can help them locally um, with their projects. So you got a bunch of resources on there. So it'd be a good place to someone to visit if if they're looking at a a, reno- a remodel or a, or a new build. Yes, correct. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you very much, Brett, for your time. Really uh, appreciate. Are you um, are you growing? Is is the organisation um, becoming more and more in demand? Yeah, we've uh, we have been growing. We're still a pretty small outfit. We uh, we you know, we have two employees, but uh, um, for the most of the time we've been around, we've only ever had uh, one. So right. uh, that's growth size. right there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, as the, as the green building market starts to trend upwards, we're both growing, but we also, you know, we're very uh, collaborative and part, we, we like to do a lot of partnerships. So we don't necessarily look at our growth um, as the best thing, but as, as our growth of how we work with other entities um, sure. together to, um, you know, make the, make the region more sustainable and just to clarify you have a you have a lot more in your team than just just two but it's just you have two paid staff is that is that true yeah yeah two paid staff and a, and a board of directors and intern volunteers and and uh all you know at least 40 field partners wow yeah so uh doing punching above your weight in terms of uh, uh paid staff yeah yeah thankfully it's it's just a lot of fun for us so awesome awesome hey we'll keep up the good work and uh, we will put links. Uh, you got, you've given some uh, some great tips and advice there, so we'll make sure we put up all those links on the uh, the show notes. All right. Well, thanks for having us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Brett. All right. Take care. Brett Little there, the Executive Director of the Green Home Institute. And if you are at the early stages of a build or going through that design process, then definitely uh, head on over to greenhomeinstitute.org and you can find uh, their contact details and get in touch see if there's some 
some way they can help you or some resources that might be useful for you on their website. Now, at the time of recording, they were just updating their website, but um, if if that's still a bit iffy, they're still they've got a very good presence on on Facebook and Twitter, and of course I'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find at homestylegreen.com forward slash one one two. That's for episode one hundred and twelve. Thanks very much for tuning in this week, and thanks also, of course, to Proclimber for bringing us Homestyle Green each week. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can contact me, Matthew, at homestylegreen.com. I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Google+. And uh, I'd love it if you could share this podcast. If you have found it useful, if you think there might be someone that you know that would find this or previous episodes useful, then let them know. You can send them a link from iTunes. And what would also be fantastic is if you could leave a review or a rating in iTunes. And that helps us to spread the good word about good design. That's it for me for this week. Now go make a better place to live. 